Well, let's see. The best Thanksgiving food is... Hello, and welcome to the Grace of Giving podcast. We're your hosts, James Riley. And Grace Prasniewski. We're coming to you from under the Golden Dome at the main building on the campus of the University of Notre Dame. Thank you for all tuning in today. So, Grace, we're doing a podcast. We are doing a podcast. Why are we doing a podcast? Yeah, I think there's a couple of reasons we're doing one, right? That's right. Well, we have uh, close to 300 colleagues here in the office and a lot of new colleagues. And I think the best way to engage our employees is to actually tell the stories of our employees and get to know their why, you know, why they're working here at Notre Dame, uh, why this specific role at Notre Dame and so forth. So I think a podcast is the best way to do that. Yeah, yeah. We think this podcast is going to be a really cool and unique way to share the stories of our colleagues here in development and hopefully in the future a chance to feature some of our partners around campus too. Great. Well, you know, uh, when deciding to do our first official podcast and have our first official guest, It was really a no-brainer. This person is one who challenges us to keep it all together, to keep motivating and innovating us, but also to keep the mission front and center in our hearts and minds. Please welcome to the show Vice President of University Relations, Lou Nani. Lou, thanks so much for being here today. Oh, James, Grace, thank you both so much, and I can't think of a better guinea pig to start with, so... (laughs) I'm, I'm sure I'll fit the guinea pig role well, <laughs> screw things up, and make it easier for everybody who follows. <laughs> it's all good. Thanks for having us in your office here today. No, my pleasure. So when you first heard of this idea that we're creating a podcast for development, what were your initial thoughts? Well, in total candor, you know, I, I probably started to think about it. One minute ago, you know, <laughs> these, uh, it's like, what do you think about your next trip? I never seem to think about the next trip until I get on the plane and I think about where I'm going. So, you know, like so many in our department, we seem to be really busy, especially in at this time of year, this, uh, this, this Advent season, um, this year end giving uh, period where we seem to be more hectic than all. So I haven't given it a lot of thought, but I'm really excited. I, I have to tell you, I've been talking to people about what are some good podcasts to listen to? That's right. And and I haven't been, you know, somebody who I have too short a commute to work, which is part <laughs> of it, right? And so, but but I want to get into listening to podcasts, and maybe you're going to 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 get me going on this kick here through the this uh, this UR this development podcast. I'm excited about it. Awesome, great to hear. Um, so I think part of what we'd like to do with this podcast is to really provide an opportunity for folks to learn more about each other in terms of their job, but also just as people. Um, so sort of in that spirit, can you tell us a little bit about your background, where you're from, what brought you to Notre Dame? So I grew up in uh, uh, oldest of four kids in a, a very small town outside of Buffalo, New York. And my, uh, my father was a, a school teacher who became a, a school administrator. My mom ran the school credit union. So we lived kind of a, a modest kind of middle income, you know, family, but it was a joyful upbringing. I was uh, pretty intent uh, on trying to play college basketball, and I was recruited at a couple of places, and, and my first choice was to play basketball and I was recruited at Yale so kind of a smaller division one and uh, I was uh, was accepted before that um, at Notre Dame and I just kind of threw it was the last application I got in I got it in the day before the deadline I wasn't really seriously thinking about going to Notre Dame 
we had never really traveled. I'd never flown on a plane, never traveled much beyond Buffalo. And the Yale coach had come to look at me, and that sounded really good. I could go to a really good school and still play basketball. But I got waitlisted there. Um, mm. Before I And I got into Notre Dame even before I heard from Yale. And everybody in my little town of 2,500 people, were the, the people, blue-collar folks, was going, you got to go to Notre Dame. Nobody has been accepted to Notre Dame from our town since 1955 when Brian Ross came, and you've got to go there. And I said, well, I'm waiting on Yale. And they were like, Yale schmale. I mean, you've got to go to Notre Dame. They were so excited. And I kept hearing from people, and, and I came here sight unseen. I, 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 uh, when I got waitlisted, I said, That's, I'm not going to apply off the waitlist. Uh, you know, I'm going to go to Notre Dame. And I came out here, and I think the first month that I was here, I lived right next to this Golden Dome here in Soren mm -hmm. Hall. And uh, I, I thought it was Jesus on the dome. That's how <laughs> clueless I was for the first month. You could tell my French was not real strong. And, and so I just, every time I saw a building, it was always a statue of Jesus, it seemed to me. And, and not, so I, I started so raw, and, and I fell in love with the place. And, and uh, it's, a, it's a love affair that's lasted a lifetime. As we all do, definitely. Yeah. Uh, if my math is correct, I want to say you've been here at Notre Dame now for 20, 20 years or so in your current role, maybe for 17. Correct. Uh, so as a student, thinking back to your student years, did you ever think that this is where you would be in your current role right now? No, but, but probably just like thinking about this podcast, I never really had a lot of thoughts about <laughs> what I was going to do with my life. You know, I, I wasn't one of those people that, you know, some people have clear convictions from the start. I'm going to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer. I mm -hmm. want to be... I want to work in the financial services world. I didn't know what I wanted to to do, um, and and it took me a little while to figure out who I wanted to be, um, and and so uh, I I never really imagined that I'd come back to Notre Dame even many years after I graduated. Wow. And I think that kind of leads into this next question that we have. So after you graduated, you did some mission work in Chile um, right. through the Holy Cross Associates program. Um, I've heard you speak about it. You saw some pretty deplorable conditions. And I just wondered, how did that impact you, not on only as a person, but what did you take from that into your professional life? Yeah, well, I would say that uh, the Chile experience scarred me for, for life. Um, you know, oftentimes when somebody tells you to walk up to that really high diving board, you know, and, and, and you get, you know, you stand at the edge and they're saying, jump, jump. Hmm. And, and, you know, you get the, those butterflies in your, your stomach. And, and then finally you get up the nerve and you jump and you say, wow, that wasn't that bad. Mm -hmm. well, the Chile experience was one of those things where you jumped into it and afterwards you said well i don't think i'd do that again no. you know it was a lot i bit off a lot more than than i think i had imagined uh from the outset it was a time of great political turmoil 84 to 87 i was there uh the pinochet dictatorship five of my high school students were tortured mm. uh, during the time i was there i visited every saturday about 30 women um, who were political prisoners all of whom had been systematically tortured for about five days on end, blindfolded, gang-raped. Uh, one of the prisoners was carrying in her womb the, the child of her anonymous torturers. And, and then we lived in a shantytown where people were cold and hungry day in and day out, defenseless against the elements. And, and, 
and really unable to provide for their families. Huge, uh, uh, you know, excessive alcoholism, and especially among the men, and in in just tremendous political oppression. Uh, we were in a state of siege, which lined up really well with Notre Dame parietals. So uh, it, it was like, it was literally, it was the exact same thing. It was midnight every night, except on weekends, it yes. was 2 a.m. That's right. Uh, but the consequences were much more severe if you violated uh, the, uh, the, the the state of siege, the, the toque de queda, as they call it in Spanish. Um, but it was uh, it was an eye-opening experience for me. And, and, and I came back from Chile still not knowing what I wanted to do, but I knew who I wanted to be. Mm. And uh, I felt like in a compressed period of time, I had lived kind of a lifetime of experiences. I had been moved deeply to tears. I had asked fundamental questions about the human condition, about God, and about my own role within this world. And I knew at that point that I wanted to lead a life of service and I wasn't sure how that was going to manifest, but it really, it really wasn't that important. I could find different ways to to lead out that service, and and um, and so it was an, an incredibly formative experience for me. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that yeah. that story with us. Uh, just thinking of your career so far, again, twenty years here at Notre Dame, good or bad? What's been kind of the most surprising aspect of of working here at the university? You know, I, I'll never forget when I started because you know I had worked at the South Bend Center for the Homeless then for another eight years mm-hmm. and and all that. And I remember Father Mark Porman, who was the chief of staff to the president before I came into that role, and he moved over to the role as vice president for student affairs. And now, as you know, he's the president at University of Portland, a great guy. And he said to me early on, he said, uh, you know, some days you're gonna get uh, you're gonna get sick of the politics at Notre Dame, and you're gonna see some people who will make decisions or take actions that will disgust you. It's inevitable. We're, it's a human institution, and you're going to run up against that. And he said, my suggestion to you is that when you see that, when you feel that, take a step back and look at Notre Dame from the student experience up, and you will be renewed. Because the experience the students are having here mm-hmm. is really shaping their lives in, 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 in very powerful and, and, and meaningful ways. And that was a, a great bit of advice for me, you know, right from the start. Because sure. there are there are decisions that we make that let us all down as, as an institution. There's, there's, there's actions that are, that are human, that are broken, that, uh, that disgust us at times to be even associated with it. It's a great, great place, but it's not a place to be, nor like any person should ever be put on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. We hold to high ideals, but we're human, and and I do think it's making a great the place is making a great difference in the lives of students to this day. And now I have uh, two kids here; one's a junior and one's wow. a, a freshman. And and to see what Notre Dame is giving to them, uh, you know, people that you love more than yourself, right, is uh, is something that is and overwhelms you with gratitude. Mm. Are they, your, your kids, are they asking you questions like, did this happen when you were a student here? And kind of comparing their experience to your experience. They really don't ask me a lot of <laughs> questions. You know, they've, uh, they're, they're on their, as they should be, on their own independent sure. course. Mm-hmm. And they're not comparing themselves. I think uh, each one has uh, 
visited this office once yeah. uh, during their entire tenure here. I only time I've seen their dorm rooms is when we move them in, and uh, and in and I think that it's important that they they have their independence since we only live about three blocks off campus, and and um, so they you know like probably just like every other student they ask for career advice what do you think about this they you know every kid's different but mm-hmm. but uh it's not a lot about uh, what did you experience what did you learn there's been a lot of those questions <laughs> not yet no, no not yet. Not yet. <laughs> yeah. um well so i doubt that you have a typical day but it, if we have to ask the question what does a typical day look like for you yeah, it's a one podcast after another. <laughs> you know, I'm just overwhelmed with these podcasts. No, I, you know, uh, it's, uh, it, there's many different roles to this job. One is uh, you're part of the President's Leadership Council. So with that role, um, you're in meetings, which has to do with kind of some kind of higher level decision making counsel to the President um, in, in all of that stuff. Then there's the role of administering kind of a team, right, of, uh, of now we're getting closer to 400 people between alumni and development and, and, and all of the, uh, the, the, the personnel issues and the, the strategic issues and, and culture issues to, to trying to manage a high-performing um, uh, team. Then there is all of the external component to our work, right? It's the, the engagement with our alumni, parents, our friends, our donors mm-hmm. at all different levels and prospective donors. Um, and, that, and, and journeying with them through the ups and downs of, of theirs, their lives. Uh, and, um, you know, it's... It's a tremendous privilege, and, and this is a, the job is cumulative. So, the longer you're in these roles, the more relationships you you acquire. Sure, people that you really come to love. Um, I, I think um, I estimated that I think last year I went to just a little over forty funerals, and wow. so that almost comes down to one funeral a week. Some f- weeks it could be two or three funerals, and. They're, they're, these are families that you really come to love and you care for, and it's really important to show up in times of need, whether it's somebody from our team who's lost a loved one uh, or whether it's a, a benefactor or an alumni leader or whatever it might be. It's Sometimes it's overwhelming to think, how am I going to find the time to attend to all of the needs that are out there? And uh, it's, it's a tremendous blessing, but also you know, an important responsibility as well. Mm-hmm. Now, we're, we're in, what, year six and a half currently of the Boldly campaign, and right. uh, we come to a close here next June, June 30th. Mm-hmm. As you think to ahead to the next campaign, what gets you most excited about the future of Notre Dame and the next campaign? I think that probably, you know, the, the, the single greatest priority in this campaign and will be again in the next campaign will be, you know, financial aid mm-hmm. for our students and in to to see a Notre Dame that is growing more and more accessible to all students students of all different backgrounds whether they're the the students that are coming from real hardship economic and and social hardships uh to to be inclusive of them at Notre Dame 
or whether it's the middle income family that just simply cannot make it sure. without a good financial aid package and bringing together a more diverse and inclusive student body that is really something that is exciting to me and it's not just enough to get the, the students in greatest need here but then we have to support them once they are here mm-hmm. so Absolutely. programs like uh, you know the student enrichment program uh, the Ann Bryce program, uh, the STEM Scholars program, it w- all of which we kind of combine under the rubric of the Fighting Irish Initiative. Those kinds of programs are really, really critical too. That gets me really excited. Also, Notre Dame's vision that we're really a conduit through which people can impact real-world problems, mm-hmm. that we work harder each and every day to be that powerful force for good that Father Soren envisioned, Mm -hmm. that we're not just about ourselves, about building a greater and greater university. While that may be an important piece of it, it's all in service to a world that is deeply in need and that we can make a difference, we can make an impact in the lives of others. One percent of the world's population has a college degree. If we're not asking ourselves every day at the University of Notre Dame, how are we making ourselves relevant to the other 99%, then we've missed the boat. Mm. And, and we have to do that in, 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 I think, three different ways. To graduate students who will go forth and transform the jangling discord of this world into a more harmonic symphony. Mm. That's number one. Number two, to pioneer research and cures and, and policies that will make this a better um, more bearable world to live in. And three, be the example. Be the example of, as an institution, of integrity, of faith, of humility, of doing the right thing. And through those three vehicles, I think we can have a great impact on the world, and I think we do, but we still have a long way to go. Um, looking back over your career, who are the people who have really influenced you the most? Yeah, I don't sleep well on planes. And, and so I was, uh, uh, I think it was last year, maybe it was two years ago, I was flying back from, from South Africa. And it's about a, I can't remember, it was, I think it was a 19-hour flight. So it was a long flight. And one of the things that I, I did on that flight is I started to write down the names of, of people who have gone before me that to me, either they retired or they've passed away, really embodied the spirit of Notre Dame. People from, you know, Father Ted and, and, and um, uh, you know, at the kind of high-end levels, to, to people like Marty Ogren, you know, who ran the garage, sure. or Melanie Chaplot, who was, you know, Father Ted's assistant. And, and I came up with a list of, uh, I think it was maybe... 40 people or so, and I looked at this list, people who, you know, I, I just admired in different ways for the integrity, the selflessness, the purity in which they serve the mission. And I looked, in, 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 and, I, and I feel this on a daily basis. Boy, i got to step up my game. I've got to be more like them. There's so many role models here. And it, it, is, it is both, at the same time, inspiring as it is humbling mm-hmm. to think, how can you live up to the way these people um, you know, serve the mission? 
and uh, and you know, for many of us, it's this is our generation. This is our time uh, to to continue that legacy, and it's a tall order. You know, this place uh, has many tremendous, great stories. Uh, yeah. Many years of great stories. Think about a time, or think about a story. Be it you know, currently as a, a staff member or as a parent, uh, as a student. Is is there one that particularly sticks out to you where you say, "Wow, this is what Notre Dame is." You know, there's so many. Mm-hmm. I mean, that, that like you said, but one that just happens to kind of you know come to mind. Um, and I guess that's what you do in a podcast. You just talk about what comes to mind. Since I've never done a, since I've never done a podcast before, nor listened to one, I, I, I'm guessing that might be the case. But uh, there, there was, uh, uh, and I didn't get to know this family until much after the case. But there, one of the things that isn't talked about a lot here is that uh, each football weekend there's a number of Make a Wish Foundation visits. Mm-hmm. Notre Dame doesn't publicize it. Uh, and less the family for some reason really wants that, and usually they don't. But instead of going to Disney World or some other place, they want to come to a Notre Dame football game. And there was a, a very humble family, um, unbeknownst to me, uh, several years ago that came from Batavia, New York, about 20 miles away from where I, I grew up. And uh, like my own background, an Italian-American family, and this was the youngest of four boys, was... Uh, diagnosed at age eight with a very serious uh, malignant brain tumor and his dream was to come out with his family for for a game and and his his favorite player was uh was Jeff Samarja and before the game he was uh, meeting with coach Weiss and and coach Weiss asked him who his favorite player was and and next thing you know Jeff Samarja was in the room and the next thing you know Jeff was um presenting him with his jersey and 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 uh, and signing it to, to Michael Napoleon, and uh, Michael was thrilled. And you know they went to that game the the next day, and and it was against uh, UCLA, and it was a game where we were behind the whole game. I remember. And the very last seconds of the game, Brady Quinn rolled out and threw a long pass to Jeff Samarja, who kind of uh, you know evaded the the defense and scampered into the end zone with seconds left for a great comeback victory. And, and Michael's uh, mother, Lori, um, thought, oh, my God, maybe, just maybe, there'll be a miracle for us. Mm. And, and after the game, they went down to the grotto. It was, it was a cold, uh, late fall uh, day, and, and it, darkness had, had come in after the game, and they were there praying really hard. And finally, little Michael said, Mom, I know you're praying for a miracle, but I'm freezing here. Can we go back to the hotel? And she goes, yeah, 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 yeah. I'm sorry, sorry. So they went back to the hotel. They go home, and the next week they find a perfect bone marrow match oh. for Michael. And she thinks, oh, my God, the, this, this, this dream, this miracle is, is, in fact, coming true. What, what they did next is they had to go down to Duke University Medical School, and there again, being a very poor family, they're the Notre Dame Club of Durham, uh, North Carolina. They, they, they embraced them. They housed them. They drove them back and forth to the pre-op meetings and everything else, and they prayed with them. Uh, they cooked for them. They did everything. It was amazing. And the day before Michael was to have the bone marrow transplant surgery, his body gave out. Oh. And... and he passed away, and I heard about it then. The story, I think, went, you know, went public, and 
And uh, I wanted to, to send something to them, and I sent it to my mother instead, and I let my mom go and, and give them these, these Notre Dame gifts. And so she went over, mm. and Michael was was buried in Jeff Samarge's jersey. Oh, my. He was, um, his pallbearers were um, his fellow second-grade students and uh, in this packed church, and and they brought him out to the Notre Dame fight song. Oh and it was amazing to me, and since then, we have become very close with Mark and Lori, his parents, mm-hmm. and also his three older siblings, and they've come out on several occasions and stayed with us as they come to games, and they... They, Michael really brought them into the Notre Dame family. And that Notre Dame family meant so much to them from afar as Subway alumni for so many years. And that it's what a privilege it is to welcome them back and help them reconnect with Michael and their visit back here on this campus now years later. And uh, it's... Uh, that's a story that, that reminds me of the impact of Notre Dame. This is a family who never had um, a, a, a member of the family attend Notre Dame, mm-hmm. but they feel as much a part of this Notre Dame family as anyone, and that's what makes this place distinct and special. That's right. Wow. Thank you for sharing that. That's right. Um, so you live a very busy life, obviously, but on the occasions when you do have free time, what do you like to do? I love going to my kids' sporting events. So uh, we only have three of the kids are in college right now, and, and uh, two are still at home. Uh, one plays, our, our ninth grade son plays uh, high school soccer and basketball, and our, our fourth grade daughter is this militant gymnast, a competitive <laughs> gymnast. And I'll be honest, I mean, uh, nothing makes me more excited in a day than to go watch their games. In some cases, just even go watch their practices. I really enjoy that when I have time. Um, I also love to go for long walks. And, and uh, whether I do that alone, I try to uh, I do it as much as possible with my wife, Carmen, and, uh, and she's always a willing participant whenever it can be. The kids are not at that stage yet where they're really excited about walking with us. <laughs> in fact, they're not excited about walking, period. The only way we can coerce them into walking with is if we say that there's ice cream or something right. like that at the end of the walk. Um, but, but, you know, so it's harder to get them to go. But I, I love those walks because I try in the, the, the better months of the year, I try to walk as much to work. And, and back, and it's about 22 minutes door-to-door hmm. uh, from my um, house door to this fourth floor of the main building office door. And, and I try uh, never to, um, to speak on the phone mm-hmm. uh, or to do any work, but rather to use that space in between all the busyness of home and all the busyness of work. Not even so much to think, but rather just to on a very sensory level experience to see, to smell, uh, to, um, to listen to the sounds of the neighborhood and the campus mm-hmm. as I walk in. And, and it's a great um, reflective and prayerful time for me. Wow, that's great. Uh, it's about a mile maybe or a mile and a half? It's probably, it's probably a little over a mile, yeah. you know, door to door. Believe it or not, from my house, it's 11 minutes to the main gate on campus, and then it's another 11 wow. minutes to the fourth floor <laughs> from the main game up here to the fourth floor of the main building. That's and I great. walk at a pretty decent pace, so, sure. yeah. 
Well, we like to end uh, our podcast with a little segment we call Take Five. Okay. We're going to ask you five questions, and you have roughly five seconds to respond to each. Ooh, okay. So they're kind of rapid-fire questions. All right. Ready? Yep. All right. Okay. All right. Favorite Thanksgiving food? I just went vegan <laughs> six weeks ago, so it <laughs> screwed up my Thanksgiving. <laughs> and we'll see how long it lasts. So wait, long answer. I would say mashed potatoes. <laughs> okay. Not with any milk or anything like nice. that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> book you reread. Uh, favorite book, Brothers Karamazov Ooh. by Fyodor Dostoevsky. My goodness, yes. Favorite spot on campus? Ooh, changed over time. Um, I'd still say Soren Hall for Soren College, better said, for all its <laughs> memories. Right. Most memorable Notre Dame sporting event? My very first football game in 1980 as a student when Harry Oliver kicked a 51-year a 51-yard field goal with no time left to beat Michigan by a point. Wow. Oh. <laughs> I, thought, I thought they're all going to be like this. <laughs> you know, I had no idea. Yeah, That's right. You know you have you a Michigan. Oh, sorry. Here. Sorry, Grace. <laughs> but not too sorry. Okay. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Uh, favorite local eatery? Ooh, again, change. You know, right now, I like, because I eat at so many high-end places, I like the simple places, the lobber. Oh, oh yeah. It's a new yeah. place. I oh, love yeah. the, the, the environment, the culture. The food's decent, but I, I just like the feel of it. Nice. Can walk there from the house. Awesome. Very good. Well, that's the end of our take five. That was uh, really good five questions yeah. and five answers. <laughs> yeah. We really enjoy uh, you being on the podcast, Lou. This is great. This is our first podcast for development. You're our very first guest. Uh, we hope to be pushing this out maybe by Wednesday of next week, which is great. December something or other. I can't remember the date. Well, let me suggest any listeners who are out there, it's got to get better than this. Oh. It can't be that boring. So don't tune this podcast out. You know, stick around because I'm sure there's going to be far more interesting, insightful uh, you know, discussions to follow. Awesome. Well, we're just about out of time. Uh, gee, we did it. You know, first podcast is in the books and uh, Hope you feel pretty good. Yeah, yeah. We didn't knock out any power grids or anything. I think we're we're on a pretty good start. That's right. Yeah, yeah. sun's coming through the windows. Yeah. This is awesome, Lou. Thanks again for having us. Just suggest a name change. You know, I think it's in part. I think it's partial right now to call it the Grace of Giving. Yeah. I think we might have to call it the James and Grace of Giving. Uh, oh. Yeah. yeah you wow. know that could be it. That could be a little you know spin more inclusive. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. Well. We're just about out of time here on the podcast, The Grace of Giving Podcast. I'm James Riley. And I'm Grace Brasniewski. And this has been The Grace of Giving Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. And remember, stay, stay golden. golden.